0: And welcome to part two on incidentalomas, not incidentalomas, incidentalomas of the pancreas, cystic lesions. Now we mentioned before some of the various lesions, and one important one is mucinous cystic neoplasma of the pancreas, so-called MCN. And the thing about this, comparing it to serous cystadenomas, occurs at an earlier age fourth to fifth decade of life again almost exclusively in females usually in body and tail of pancreas as opposed to the cirrhosis adenomas which are more common in the pancreatic head these also do not communicate with the pancreatic duct but can obstruct the pancreatic duct and the diagnosis is made by looking at the tissue in the lesion because they contain ovarian type stroma key features they're often smooth With a relatively thick enhancing wall, they may contain peripheral calcifications and thick septations or nodularity, which are, of course, of concern. And you can see a very nice example here, but that's not always the case. They may be cystic with a slightly enhancing wall and not perfectly homogeneous density, but... When you see a female and you see a three or four a cystic lesion, I gotta be thinking about mucinous cystic neoplasm of the pancreas. And it's just the coronal views and 3D maps in that regard. Now the lesion we speak most about these days, that is the typical incidental lesion, is the IPMN or intraductal papillary mucinous neoplasm. It usually occurs in an older population, not much different from the cirrus population, a bit more common in men, and the key thing, of course, is the pancreatic duct involvement. And with the pancreatic duct, we classify them as main duct lesions, side branch lesions, or mixed type. The main pancreatic duct of over a centimeter is suggestive of a main duct IPMN. Most of the side branches are in the 5 to 7 millimeter size range. Main duct IPMNs are particularly of concern because they have a higher incidence of malignancy, and invariably, as long as the patient doesn't have too many comorbidities, they will require surgery. Now, with intraductal papillary mucous neoplasm, some other facts. Predictors of malignancy include size. Typically, we don't worry under three centimeters. We really worry over three. Interval growth, two to three millimeters per year. The presence of a mural nodule or enhancing thick septations. Or if patients have clinical symptoms like abdominal pain or prior pancreatitis. Many people will operate on these patients if they've had clinical symptoms of pancreatitis. Unexplained pancreatitis is of great concern. So... That indeed becomes an important marker. Now, as I mentioned with incidental lesions, how well you see IPMNs depends on the protocol. You can see a case like this. Often the axials are probably not optimal, but here the coronal shows you very nicely an approximately one centimeter IPMN, shown very well there, and shown very well here on the coronal views. Or this case with a bit over a 2 centimeter lesion with very fine septations. In terms of size, we always look at the maximum size regardless of the tissue plane. Or this example. Again, you could consider an MCN here. It would not be unrealistic. You probably would not simply follow this patient. This one would get EUS. And in terms of size, usually I measure off the venous phase, but typically arterial and venous in these lesions is not substantially different. But venous is the easiest phase to measure with. Now, with IPMNs, they're often solitary, but they can be multiple, and often is the largest lesion you worry about. There is a challenge now, what if you have multiple IPMNs? If you're doing surgery to, uh, uh, pre- to predict and avoid the patient developing a malignancy, is it a good idea to leave a part of the pancreas? You haven't really solved the problem. So there's a lot of things going on in terms of discussion and what needs to be done with these patients, but you can see very nicely In this case, multiple IPMNs in the uncinate process in the body of the pancreas. Here it is coronal, again, showing you that very nicely. And again, in this case, well-defined cystic under 3 centimeters, no septations. These lesions will be followed routinely. Now, I mentioned that typically we see the origin of the lesion off the side branch of the pancreatic duct. But sometimes, as in this case, you see a large central dilated duct That's classic for IPMN. Now, in saying that, I'll make the point that, of course, you can get obstruction of the pancreatic duct by a tumor, uh, like an adenocarcinoma. But in these cases, we're able to see duct transitions. Here we see the duct usually in its entirety, and you see an area of more focal dilatation as is seen in this case. And again, that allows you to make that specific diagnosis. But nevertheless, these patients typically will need to undergo surgery. With these incidental cystic pancreatic lesions, there's lots of controversy. How often do you follow them? Typical rule at Hopkins, incidental lesion, we don't know the trajectory of growth. Follow with three months, then stretch it out to six months times a couple, and then yearly. There's no good answer, when can you stop? That's something that will need to be understood more. EUS, when the lesions are of questionable uh, 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 impact. You do EUS, you do tissue sampling or fluid sampling. That's very commonly done, particularly in patients with a family history of pancreatic cancer. And again, surgery, main duct IPMN, something is suspicious for an MCN, or if you're growing even the most benign looking lesion per year over three millimeters, people typically will worry. Now I should also mention that we talk about incidental cystic neoplasms, and I mentioned three lesions that can be incidental, MCN, IPMN, serous cystadenoma, and I guess a pseudocyst would make it four. Just to make the point that not everything that's cystic is quote-unquote potentially benign, sometimes adenocarcinoma can look benign, I mean can look uh, aggressive and be cystic. Here is a very obvious case of metastatic tumor to the liver, for example, but necrotic adenocarcinoma can be cystic. So in a sense, cystic is not the same thing as saying, don't worry, in many ways. Here is again, this could be an IPMN, not really, thick wall, septations, nodularity. of course the liver meds make it easy. Cystic neuroendocrine tumors, we talk about neuroendocrine tumors as being very vascular, but we've now seen many cystic lesions where the classic thing is rim enhancement, Uh, About 25% of the time it's associated with MEN syndromes. And here's just a great example. There's a cystic lesion, but you know this is coming out because it has an enhancing rim, it's somewhat nodular, there's thick septations. At best, this is an MCN. But this ended up being a cystic neuroendocrine tumor. And I mentioned in one of the recent talks lately, 3D imaging very nicely shows the rim enhancement. When you see rim enhancement, you've got to be thinking about a neuroendocrine tumor. Another example, look at this case, cystic lesion tail of pancreas, initially read as an IPMN, but 3D mapping shows you that rim enhancement, and very, very classic, very, very classic for a neuroendocrine tumor. That patient is getting a distal pancreatectomy, which has indeed happened. And you can see these lesions are small. Here's another one in the head of the pancreas, and I emphasize one important point. If you did not look carefully or did not give IV contrast, these would look like IPMNs, particularly the smaller ones because they look cystic. It's only with good bolus do you see that peripheral enhancement and allow you to make the correct diagnosis. So in saying that, sometimes these cystic lesions of the neuroendocrine tumor family are large. And as an example, in fact, this case, you might even think about a GIST tumor, but cystic, necrotic, enhancing rim. Here, the epicenter is difficult. Can it be near the pancreas, like an extra pancreatic neuroendocrine tumor? Can it be a germ cell tumor? Can it be a gist tumor? All these things you might think about. This was a pancreatic neuroendocrine tumor. Very nicely shown, but you can see the cystic lesion component, the solid component, the rim enhancement, the nodularity to the rim, all of the classic findings we'll look at. A couple other things I'll comment on. Spend tumor, solid pseudopapular neoplasms of the pancreas can be very cystic. The thing about these lesions, they're infrequent, and they occur in young females, usually in their teens or early 20s. Your resectum early survival is in the high 90-plus percent level. Uh, however, you know, they can recur. They can have metastatic disease. About a third of them contain calcification. They can present with spontaneous bleed. Obstruction of common or pancreatic duct is very rare. And here's just a very nice example. It's a homogeneous, or at least a little bit homogeneous, lesion. There's some irregularity, but it's exophytic in this case, arising off the pancreas. Patients near teens, what else could it be? It's not going to be a neuroendocrine tumor. It's not a lymphoepithelial cyst. It's not a serocyst adenoma. This is coming out, and maybe that's the most important thing. Once you make a decision, leave alone, come out. This has to come out, and this was a spend tumor. Very nicely shown. Another example, solid spend tumor pushing on the pancreatic gland. Very, very smooth. Solitary and papillary epithelial neoplasma of the pancreas. Spend for short. Beautiful example. Again, no dilated duct. Here it is in a coronal display. Very nicely shown. Last thing I'll comment on, we've had a about two dozen cases, of an entity called lymphoepithelial Their lymphoepithelial cysts are rare lesions of unknown etiology. They can occur anywhere in the pancreas and, in fact, often look peripancreatic. They can be confused with cystic lesions like mesenteric cysts, for example. They contain keratinous debris and cholesterol clefts. It's most common in men by about 4 to 1, Mean age, about 56, with a wide range from the 20s to the 70s. Typically incidentally discovered with no symptoms in the patient. can be multilocular, bilocular, or unilocular. Size range can be from a couple of centimeters to almost 13 centimeters. They're low-density lesions. One thing I noticed that helps me make the diagnosis, they're often under 20 Hounsfield units on both arterial and venous phase. And other cystic lesions tend to be higher, unless it's like an IPMN or something, so it makes you think about these lesions. Again, because of location, they're so exophytic at times. Can be confused with a splenic lesion, or a renal lesion, or even a mesenteric mass. And again, they're usually unilocular or thin-walled without internal septations or solid components. And here's a very nice example of one. This is a very large one. It could be a big pseudocyst. You're not sure it's not coming off the stomach, could it be a gist? But when you look at everything, it's coming off the tail of the pancreas. So again, a very, very unusual case. So let's go back to where we started. What's the recommendations? What do we do? Well, every institution is kind of looking at what they do, but let me give you some of the comments from the incidental panel of the ACR. Here's the recommendation. Surgery should be considered for cysts larger than three centimeters. That's a Tanaka criteria. If the lesion is a serous cyst adenoma, surgery is deferred until the cyst is larger than 4CM. Okay. Patients with simple cysts smaller than 3 centimeters can be followed up, but attempts should be made to characterize lesions 2 centimeters or better, and I gave you some of those key points. Um, Again, uh, if the study cannot be done based on available imaging data, MR is the preferred procedure and cysts smaller than one centimeter cannot be further characterized by imaging and can be followed less frequently than some of the larger cysts, particularly in older patients. A common might be that if a patient's In their 80s, late 80s, or 90s, you're talking about operating on a lesion with potential risk within 10 years. That may not be the wisest thing. The morbidity and comorbidities related to surgery may be so much higher than doing nothing and taking that risk. And finally, aspiration is strongly advised to exclude pseudocyst before any surgery is performed. We do lots of EUS in these patients, and patients must remain asymptomatic during the follow-up period. Again, with cystic pancreatic lesions, when patients have unexplained pancreatitis or abdominal pain, those patients are going to surgery. So it's worthwhile reading this article. Lots of good recommendations on a number of different topics. So I'll bring back one of my earlier slides. At least 3% of patients or so will have cysts in practice. You gotta come up with some strategy, how you're gonna manage them in your own practice, what are you gonna do, and make sure all of your partners understand stand and are on the same wavelength. And with that, I'll stop there and wish you a great day.